Welcome to Music History Monday for June 28th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Adolf Sachs. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. On June 28, 1846, 175 years ago today, Adolf Sachs patented the saxophone family as a group of eight, not seven, as is often erroneously stated, instruments. Of these eight saxophones, four remain in common use today. The soprano and tenor saxophones, both pitched in B-flat, and the alto and baritone saxophones, both pitched in E-flat. The invention of the saxophone was a stunning achievement. Never before or since has a single individual created an entirely new family of instruments. That's not funny. In the musical world, there are all sorts of jokes, nasty jokes, that are considered stereotypically appropriate for the sorts of people that play certain instruments. Most common are viola jokes. That's not because there's anything inherently funny about violas or the people who play them, but because violists tend to be naturally supportive, genuinely nice people. People who will usually not fight back when joshed, but rather will smile a melancholy smile, roll their eyes, and shake their heads. Question. What's the difference between a viola and a coffin? Answer. With the coffin, the dead person is on the inside. Yeah, no respect. But other instruments and their players have their own jokes as well. For example, those who play such physically primitive instruments as the drums and trombone are celebrated, unfairly of course, for their perceived lack of intelligence and social grace. Question. What do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? Answer. Homeless. Question. What did the trombonist get on her SATs? Answer. Drool. Oboists are stereotypically known for their irritability, perhaps a result of playing an instrument that requires so much air pressure that their brains are routinely squished backwards into their skullcaps. Question. What does an oboist use for birth control? Answer. His personality. Accordion players, appropriately, have inspired a veritable mountain of jokes. I've told some before, and I'll tell one now. Question. How do you define an optimist? Answer. An accordion player with a pager. Those puffed-up popinjays that are conductors are the butt of some really nasty jokes, something they fully deserve. Question. What's the difference between a bull and an orchestra? Answer. With the bull, the horns are up front and the assholes in the back. And saxophone jokes? 
until I was preparing this podcast, when I did an internet search, I had never in my 67 years seen or heard a saxophone joke. I would ask you to remember that I began my professional life as a jazz musician and was thus surrounded by saxophone players. As an undergraduate, I studied big band composition with the saxophonist and composer Benny Carter and improvisation with the saxophonist Lee Konitz. If anyone was going to hear a saxophone joke, it was going to be me. I would tell you that the saxophone jokes I have found online are pretty much all repurposed lawyer jokes, drummer jokes, and viola jokes, with one outstanding exception. Question, what's the difference between a tenor saxophone and a baritone saxophone? Answer, the baritone holds bigger plants. Now, okay, I'll admit that's pretty good, but it's also pretty tame and not particularly unkind. Question, why are there so few saxophone jokes? Answer, because the instruments are so damned cool and the people who play them equally so. I like the way Michael Segel puts it in his book, The Devil's Horn, Ferrar, Strauss, and Giroux, 2005, as his description mirrors my experience. Quote, Saxophonists are a generous and agreeable lot, enormously sympathetic to a new convert. They are happy to help in any way they can. Unquote. Our game plan. Today's Music History Monday will focus on Adolf Sax and his crazy life. I would tell you that the guy had more lives than a feral cat and wild E. coyote combined. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes will focus on the actual instrument sax invented, including the saxotrumba, sax horn, sax tuba, and the six-piston trombone. The challenges he experienced trying to have those instruments accepted by the establishment and, of course, some recommendations for some really scalding hot recordings of saxophone ensembles. Antoine Joseph Sax was born on November 6, 1814 in the Walloon, that is, French-speaking city of Dinot. At the time of Sax's birth, Dinot was under Dutch occupation. Today, it is in Belgium, 12 miles north of the border with France. Sax died in Paris on February 7, 1894, at the age of 79. That he managed to live to the age of 79 remains something of a miracle. He was the first of 11 children born to one of the most famed instrument designers and builders of the time, Charles Joseph Sachs, 1791 to 1865. The elder Sachs was best known for his brass and wind instruments, though he also built pianos, harps, stringed instruments, and guitars. Charles Joseph had every intention of turning his firstborn son, Adolf, into one of the great instrument designers and builders in Europe. In this, he succeeded, though not without some hiccups on the way. You see, the young Adolf Sachs was what we'd kindly call accident-prone. To the citizens of Dinot, 
He was known as Le Petit Sax, Le Revenant. The little sax, the ghost who comes back from the dead. Following one of Le Petit Adolphe's many near-fatal accidents, his mother, Marie Joseph, moaned, quote, The child is doomed to suffer. He won't live, unquote. Adolf's misfortunes began early and came often. When he was two years old, he fell down a flight of stairs. Some sources say he fell out of a third-story window and on landing smashed his head on a rock. His skull was cracked and he was in a coma for two weeks. A year later, at the age of three, while wandering around his father's workshop, he mistook a beaker of vitriolized water diluted sulfuric acid for milk, drank it, and almost died, writes Sachs's biographer, Michael Sigel. Quote, Subsequent poisonings involved white lead, copper oxide, and arsenic. He swallowed a needle, burned himself severely on a stove, he fell onto a red-hot cast iron frying pan, and was badly scorched by exploding gunpowder, which blew him across the workshop floor. He was again rendered comatose by a heavy slate tile that dislodged from a roof and landed on his head. When he was ten, a villager happened to spot the drowning lad when, after falling into a river, he was face down and unconscious. The villager managed to pluck him from the water. Before he entered adolescence, his head was scarred by the repeated blows, and one side of his body was badly disfigured by burns." Unquote. Yeah, we'd note that Sachs's physical misfortunes did not end with his childhood. In 1853, a hard, dark mole appeared on the 39-year-old Sachs's lower lip. It was cancer, and it defied all treatments. By 1858, the tumor had grown to horrific size, disfiguring Sax's face and forcing him to eat through a tube. He was left with an impossible choice. Slowly die of suffocation or have surgery to remove the tumor, which would almost certainly kill him. And then, deus ex machina. This suddenly appeared an Indian doctor, once known as Dr. Vries, but now known simply as Le Docteur Noir, the Dark Doctor, presumably because of his skin color and not because of any connection with the underworld. He treated Sachs with remedies made from Indian herbs. In early 1859, six months after the treatments had started, the tumor began to shrink. By February 1860, it was gone never to return. The Revenant is right. His accident-prone childhood did not stop Sachs from becoming an outstanding flutist and clarinetist and a capable player of virtually every brass and wind instrument that came out of his father's workshop. As a teenager, he studied flute, clarinet, and voice at the Royal Conservatory of Brussels. Sax's talents as an instrumentalist aside, his genius was as an instrument designer and builder. His work as an apprentice in his father's atelier paid off. 
At the age of 15, he presented two flutes and a clarinet of his own design and construction at the 1830 Industrial Exposition in Brussels. At the age of 20, he presented an entirely new clarinet, one with 24 keys. The standard soprano clarinet employs 17. At the same age, he reinvented the bass clarinet, a previously untunable and almost unplayable instrument, transmuting it into a rich, majestic, sonorous instrument that played in tune. It quickly became a standard member of the woodwind choir across Europe. Francois Antoine Habeneck, 1781-1849, the director and principal conductor of the Paris Opera, said that next to Sax's bass clarinet, all other bass clarinets were, quote, barbarian instruments, unquote. This should all have been good, yes? Boy survives disastrous childhood to become by 20 one of the great acoustical craftspeople in all of Europe. But in a professional world filled with... Let's do this one more time. This should all have been good, yes? Boy survives disastrous childhood to become, by 20, one of the great acoustical craftspeople in all of Europe. But in a professional world filled with jealousy and mediocrities, no one likes a show-off, particularly a young show-off of genius. According to his envious contemporaries, Adolf Sachs had a bad attitude. This is true to the degree that he knew his worth and suffered fools poorly. The literature refers to him variously as, quote, brash, arrogant, handsome, with bedroom eyes, unquote, and as someone filled with, quote, energy, dynamism, courage, and total self-confidence, unquote. Sachs himself was wont to say that, quote, in life there are the conquerors and there are the conquered. I must prefer to be among the first, unquote. In 1840, the not-quite-26-year-old Sachs presented nine inventions at the Belgian exhibition. He failed to win a single gold medal for any of them. He was informed that though the judges believed he deserved gold medals, they refused to award them because, quote, were he to receive the exhibition's highest honors at such a young age, he would have nothing else to aspire to, unquote. Okay, we all know Huey when we hear it, and so did Sachs. He was awarded what amounted to a consolation prize, a Vermeil medal, that is, a silver medal gilded with gold. Sachs refused to accept it, stating that, quote, If they think me too young to deserve the gold medal, I myself think me too old to accept this Vermeil one, unquote. We cannot fault Sachs's anger, but we also know that young, arrogant geniuses do not make many friends, and on this we must tell it like it is. The young Adolf Sachs had an amazing ability to make enemies. The following year, in 1841, Sachs was preparing to present to the Belgian Institute 
a prototype of what would become his greatest invention, a hybrid brass and woodwind instrument in which he joined a brass instrumental body in the shape of a parabolic cone and the keys of an ophiclide, see my instrumental outliers post for April 22nd, 2021, with a clarinet mouthpiece. It was an instrument that Sachs claimed would revolutionize the sound of military bands and orchestras, an instrument that would eventually come to be called the saxophone. But the judges in Brussels never got a chance to see or hear it because one of Sachs's fellow competitors kicked it across the floor and damaged it so badly as to make it unplayable. Well, for Adolf Sachs, that was it. That was the last straw. He'd had it with the provincial pea brains of his native Belgium. It was time to head for the show. It was time to move to Paris. Paris was the Western world's capital of instrumental design and construction in the decades around the 1840s. Sachs had been there on visits, and important Parisian musicians knew of his work. For example, back in 1834, François-Antoine Habeneck, the director and principal conductor of the Paris Opera, had lauded Sachs's new bass clarinet, and by 1842, word of his new saxophone had reached the ears of composers in Paris. The Parisian composer Fromental Halevi, 1799-1862, wrote to Sachs, imploring him to go public with his new instruments. Quote, Hurry and finish your new family of instruments and come and bring succor to the poor composers that are looking for something new and to the public that is demanding it, if not to the whole world itself. Unquote. For Sachs, snubbed and disrespected at home, but apparently wanted in Paris, it was an easy decision. In 1842, with 30 francs in his pocket, quote, rich in ideas and light in cash, unquote, according to Sachs himself, he picked himself up and moved to Paris. Along with inventing the saxophone family of instruments, moving to Paris, was the smartest thing Adolf Sachs ever did. He borrowed some money, rented a room, and he made the rounds. In order to raise startup cash for his business, he got on the horn to his contacts. Among those contacts was the previously mentioned composer, Fromental Halevi, who was anxious to have access to Sachs's new family of instruments. In June of 1842, Halevi introduced Sachs to his friend, the composer and music journalist Hector Berlioz, 1803-1869, who at the time was writing for the widely read and highly influential magazine Journal des Débats. Sachs and Berlioz talked for several hours. Sachs demonstrated his prototype instrument, discussed his plans, and went into detail regarding his many instrumental inventions. According to Albert Remy, at the conclusion of their meeting, Berlioz said rather cryptically, quote, Tomorrow you will know what I think about the work you have accomplished, unquote. On June 12, 1842, an article written by Berlioz appeared in the Journal des Débats, in which, across several columns, he praised Sachs 
to the skies. The article was immediately reprinted in the French and Belgian press. Berlioz described Adolf Sachs as being, quote, a man of lucid mind, far-seeing, tenacious, steadfast, and skilled beyond words, unquote. During the course of his article, Berlioz called Sachs's new instrument le saxophone, a designation that undoubtedly warmed the ego-freak Sachs to the core of his cockles. Yeah, up until the appearance of Berlioz's article, Sachs had been alternately calling the instrument a contrabass clarinet or an ophiclide abec, the latter being a designation that will be explained in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post. Berlioz wrote this about the saxophone. Quote, its principal merit, in my view, is the varied beauty of its accent, sometimes serious, sometimes calm, sometimes impassioned, dreamy, or melancholic, or vague, like the weakened echo of an echo, like the indistinct plaintive moans of the breeze in the woods, and even better, like the mysterious vibrations of a bell long after it has been struck. There does not exist another musical instrument that I know of that possesses this strange resonance which is situated at the edge of silence." Unquote. Thanks to Berlioz's article, Adolf Sachs was, just like that, a made man in Paris. Writes Albert Remy, quote, For Sachs, it was the start of a prolific and prodigious life, which was at the same time tormented. The price he would have to pay would be envy, jealousy, injustice, hatred, and adversity before achieving glory much later. From that moment on, the inventor-slash-performer was introduced throughout the musical world. He met frequently with numerous composers who had faith in him. He was received at the salons. He gave numerous performances in front of the biggest of names in his workshop and in halls. Sachs's name was widely known." Unquote. When we return tomorrow in Dr. Bob Prescribes, it will be with the specifics of Sachs's new family of instruments and the epic challenges he faced in getting those instruments into use. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.